Hello again, everybody, and welcome to episode 18, the Peyton Manning edition of Angles and Attitudes. He's John and I'm Mark, and today we're joined by Fox Sports five tool guy, NFL check, MLB check, NASCAR check, boxing, and just for good measure, Westminster Kennel, show, uh, Kennel Dog Shows. Please welcome to the podcast, Chris Myers. Chris, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks hey, for having Chris. me on. It's nice to talk to you guys. Well, we appreciate having, uh, we watched some of the uh, uh, Chris and Tells, and uh, I also saw some of the play at home. So I don't have the official Bob Barker play at home <laughs> microphone yes. for today, but uh well, I, well, I do. I, I did. <laughs> I did bring the old. I have. It's not hooked up, so I hope you can hear me. I'll give away prizes later for being on the right. show. But I just. I used to walk around as a kid. I walk around the neighborhood with one of these trying to interview people, and they sent me away. So. All right. Well, we'll start from a, from a kid, and and I, I know your time is uh, is valuable. We appreciate you jumping on. So we're gonna fast forward a little bit. We're gonna pick it up at ESPN. After uh, some time in Miami, you find yourself working for uh, ESPN. Tell us some stories from there. Well, a lot of story. I, you know, uh, it was a it was a story. They saw me doing a feature on the uh, college baseball team at the World Series, and and coaches on a staff of an NFL team who never played the game but were coaching the game. Uh, and that's how I got my hired there. I was a West Coast reporter. Uh, it was my first gig in uh, 1989 with ESPN and uh, so I they were starting at that believe it or not the beginning bureaus they had a they were going to start a New York bureau eventually a Chicago bureau of reporters because they really just had anchors in Connecticut who did highlights you know Chris Berman the guys going back then and it was great to be a part of an all sports network after having done sports for local news and things like that. So I had a lot of my first year of my God, the events that, that happened today, I was at the earthquake world series with the A's and the giants. I was in the middle of that. Uh, and, and, and at, you know, at, at what was the giants home park at the time uh, when it happened, uh, I was there, they said, uh, get on a plane, go to Dallas. Is this crazy Arkansas oil guy is going to buy the Cowboys and he may fire Tom Landry. I jumped on a plane. I covered there with Jerry Jones, took over the Cowboys and then drafted uh, Troy Aikman. And then there was great history through that. So as a reporter moving around a lot, that was a lot of fun. And then I, I did a story on a, on a relief pitcher, Tim Burke. I don't know if you guys remember him. He was with the Montreal Expos. He was with some other teams. Yeah. But, um, and he was named to his first all-star game. Buck Rogers was the manager. And they were then the Expos and they were in contention. Uh, but he made his all first all-star game, but he was, him and his wife could not, uh, I guess, biologically have a child. So they were going to adopt a child and the paperwork, they would have to go into the, the jungle of Guatemala to both be there and signed at a certain time to, to, to pick up the, the baby, the adoption. And he was pitching in the all-star game and I was covering the all-star game in Anaheim. It's the one that Bo Jackson hit the long home run in. And the, you know, they said, Hey, you know what, get, this is a, you know, Lasorda is going to let this guy pitch and then get on a plane to go. You should follow him. And, you know, it'll be a story for Sports Center. So I did that. We went down into the jungle and, and, and we adopted it. It was so emotional. The kid, they flew back. And then he pitches. He gets back just in time. He pitches in the all And then he gets he pitches for the Expos in a game uh, that he actually saves uh, as he flies back, lands that day. Uh, and, and the rest was history. So anyway, that story won an Emmy, a national Emmy. It was really the first reporting Emmy uh, known for ESPN. And so from there, I, I was brought back to the, the home office and, and started doing some sports centers and baseball tonight 
and, and that type of thing. So that's kind of an early beginning of, of, of ESPN, how stories unfolded. There were a lot of other things that I, that I covered, uh, including Hank Gathers, the basketball player, having a heart attack on the court down at Loyola Marymount, and the fact that you're in the mix with some of those things, and they're different stories because I had to go to the hospital with the family, and, and we all kind of found out at the same time that he was actually, that he'd actually passed away. He was a young, health, healthy athlete, and, 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 and so the question was, should he have been playing? Did they know about it? Uh, so there's always a, a, a sports story, but a news story, I think, connected to a sports story. It's one of the fascinating things about, about what we do in, in live sports. So anyway, those were some of the, the early uh, ESPN connections, along with some really cool people that I worked with behind the scenes and some Chris, nice people on, on the scenes. Chris, I got to yeah. ask you. I got to ask you, I mean, how did you feel about being put into this fire right away? I mean, you know, you, like you said, you got on a plane, a Landry, this, you did the thing with Burke <laughs> yeah. and everything. I mean, what was going through your mindset? Is this going to you know, be, a, be an everyday thing or were you they thought you were going to be regulated to that studio? Yeah, no, that's a good question. When I was the reporter, I thought, oh, I'm going to be out there on the West Coast covering, you know, whether it's the Dodgers or the Giants or, you know, that part of the region or the, you know, the West Coast football teams, the 49ers. Uh, what whatever else was going on and all of a sudden these other kind of bigger stories came up and you, you get thrown into it uh, but but I think you react you know you just kind of you have to almost remove yourself a, as a sports fan and, and you're becoming kind of a news guy a reporter guy but I think you're asking the questions that people at home would want to know or trying to tell the story that way and even though there were different kinds of stories some were, were emergencies some were emotional they all had kind of that 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 common sports thread which I, I think was cool and that's why I got into it I actually got into sports to have fun and call games and and and, and talk to athletes and, and that type of thing and then so this was I think it helped prepare me later for calling uh, play-by-play on broadcast or for doing interviews because of the the different unique experiences that, that I was involved in I have to interview the commissioner after an earthquake world series and say are we going to continue we got to cancel a world series we're going to play a world series you know how how, how how serious is the damage in the area um, anyway, those are those are some of the things. But yes, you you kind of react. I mean, that's what you have to do. And I think each time your level of experience, you, you become a little bit more familiar. So I think you can handle it a little bit better. Right? Well, we appreciate that. And, and you bring up the idea you got to be able to walk that line where you can't be too sportsy in a situation. Yeah. There's news element to it. And you can't be too newsy if there's the sports and it's sports and we're supposed to enjoy it. Right. 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 And I think through it all. Really, uh, the most amazing thing is the human element, right? I mean, people talking what we're doing here, that, that really is the core. When I look back at, yeah, as a sports fan, a sports fanatic, studied the, the stats and watched the games. But I, I was the kind of guy who stayed up late night to watch any interview show, whether it was Johnny Carson or I would get home from school. And if I but baseball wasn't on, if WGN and I wasn't watching the Cubs, and, and then I'd watch, and, and, you know, I'd watch a Mike Douglas or a Merv Griffin interview show. And I, I think the, the interviewing of people, the conversation of people, uh, which is why later I did up close that Roy Firestone started and still enjoyed doing those kinds of things. I think that's really at the core of, of whether it's a news story, a sports story, a human interest or whatever it is. Uh, and, and I think I've always enjoyed that coming from a you know a big family and, and having, <laughs> having time to talk or having, having to work my way in to the conversation. Was there any personal favorite of yours? Like if it was baseball tonight, what up close with Firestone or, you know, just doing the, uh, let's say the call of a game, was there still, even to this day, the one that you say, oh, wow, you know, this is what I still like to keep doing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, well, I grew up kind of football was my first passion because I was around uh, the Don Shula Dolphins of the 70s, that perfection kind of thing. 
Um, so, but that was just the beginning. I mean, I, then I would hang out in spring training as a kid in Vero Beach or, or uh, with the teams in South Florida. So I got to see a lot of different kinds of baseball. As far as what I've done, I always look at, you know, I think John mentioned it in the open. I, I look for new challenges after having been in the business a while, along with appreciating. That's why I did the Westminster Kennel Club dog show. I, I'm really, uh, you know, a fan. I always had dogs around my family and, and I've never shown them or had them in, in shows or trained them, but I'm a dog lover and I had to learn. It was really kind of an exciting adapt, like you would cover any other sport. Uh, you have, a, you know, somebody who's been involved in it as your analyst, and then you study the rules, the regulations, and you bring out what you think the viewer finds interesting. So I've enjoyed all this stuff. I mean, covering Super Bowls, having been on the field for, for when Brady, you know, came back and, and, and led the Falcon, the, I'm sorry, the Patriots against the Falcons and the greatest comeback ever in a Super Bowl, even just recently getting to, to be on the sideline for the Chiefs when Patrick Mahomes, before they lost to the Bucks, the year that they beat the 49ers and have Andy Reid interview him. There's those kinds of moments that, that stick with you. I love calling NFL games, uh, but I, I like talking to people about, about sports. So, and the live, uh, you know, unscripted part of sports and, and, and what we're doing here too, that it's not tape delayed. It's not, there's not a second take. You, you just, you do it and react to it. Uh, kind of like those news stories. Uh, even, even the Red Sox broke through in 04, you know, the Cubs in 16, the, the White Sox in 05 have been around a, on a network broadcast of those moments whether you're a fan of those teams or not, but to see those players and the fans of those players react and, and something like that, that stays with you more than almost the job. But at the moment, you, 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 you know, you got to do the job. So, but to me, it's all, it's all fun. It never gets old because you're, you know, you're a sports fan at heart. Well, after we kind of came from too, just, uh, we've been amazed talking to guys like you. Uh, we had Diane Burns from uh, channel seven uh, Emmy award winning news anchor, uh, Mark Greco and uh, just had Chip Carey uh, earlier in the week. And the thing that I, I've taken away, we've taken away is the human element, you know, because we see you on TV or you see you as kind of quote unquote celebrities, we get a chance to talk to you about the, you know, things like this. And it's like, I keep coming away going, these are just really, really, really cool people. Yeah, I mean, you have to kind of like what you do, and you really you gotta like the people. Are gonna be like, everything's not gonna be perfect. You gotta get along with people and make it work in your in your situation. I mean, I've had situations over the years as great as some guys have been. Uh, people that have been very difficult to, to to deal with. I mean, Barry Bonds, who just recently had you know had a birthday. He he ended he ended up doing interviews and was cooperative. It was actually okay, but I you know he was a difficult guy, even as great a player as he was. And I, I you know you realize some people are just shy. He once told me, I, I wish I could just play baseball and not have anybody around. I mean that, that you know he he said he was happiest when he was on his motorcycle, you know, riding up and down the coast alone and feeling free. So you you get to the end, you get to these moments with people and you understand a little bit more. Uh, about them but uh, yes if you enjoy what you do uh, then I think you're you're going to be happy going to work you know Chris I got to ask say one thing here before I take it over to Mark three interviews that stick out in my mind with you that I thought you handled unbelievable words the Bonds one I love the one with John Wooden and of course uh, <laughs> I don't think OJ, I think you had OJ Simpson flustered I don't want to go to that but I, it was like you were the lawyer and he didn't know how to answer you. That was my take on that interview. And you handled that so good. And that was, we're talking now 30 years ago. Yeah, thank you for that. No, and that was amazing how the O.J. Simpson interview even came to be. And it's still, people can watch it, you know, on YouTube from the up close in the late 90s. You're right. That was like 98. That was It was the first live interview with him after both, you know, the, the, the wrongful death lawsuit and and the, and the murder trial, which he, he was acquitted. But I, I tell you, studying for that, and that was, again, a live interview. That was his only 
he wanted to be on the show. I, and we had talked to him before all of this happened, before he was, he was going to come on and just talk about his career. And then, of course, he goes, so years later, after he goes through the trial, him and his attorney say, Chris, I like the way you do interviews. We're fair. You, you know, I want to come on your show as long as it's live. And they have two, two restrictions, actually. It's got to be live, and, I, and you can't ask about my children. I said, well, that's fair enough. I said, but just be aware, I, I'm going to talk to you about this, this trial. I mean, it's just happened. And a lot, most right. people think you're guilty. The evidence is overwhelming. I said, I'm not going to be accusing, but I'm going to ask questions that people want to ask. And he said, that's fine. And, and so it was supposed to be 30 minutes in a live, and it ended up going almost an hour live on the fly. They, they changed it. But I studied for that. I almost like you would uh, a broadcast. I mean, I met with lawyers. I saw evidence, actually, that the jury couldn't see. Uh, I spoke to police investigators. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was it was a lot of homework, but I uh, and I didn't want to get too opinionated. I just wanted to ask the question, you know, hey, are you, you know, uh, did, are you capable of killing? I think that was as close as I got. Yeah, was to like say, the yes. Yeah. Did you actually do it? You know, kind of a thing. And I wanted people to be able to tell that he was not truthful. It wasn't up for me to call him a liar. You, you could look at the evidence and see things. But what was stunning about that, and I don't know if I, I you know, we were live. So we hit the first commercial break, showing pictures, talking about his wife being cut, his ex-wife. And he, and he turns to me just casually and it was like, oh, hey, I, I got a tea time out at Riviera. You know, if you want to play some golf, we, we have an opening here. We need a fourth. And I'm like, who, who is this guy? What the hell? How disconnected is he? And so I knew that it would catch up with him and, and karma eventually did whatever people. An Alfred Hitchcock movie, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no, really, it was very surreal. I still to this day think of, and I've never gone back to watch the entire interview myself because there were moments I felt I could have been more aggressive or pressed him, but that wasn't my role. He's the only guest I'd ever shook his hand on it at the end of the show. And he, of course, said at the end, you know, hey, it was, you know, it was great talking sports with you. That was his, his sarcastic remark. But my goal was to let to, to present what I could, ask him what I could and let the audience decide whether they thought, uh, you know, he was guilty or a fraud or a lawyer. Or a law, a law, he Really, I had lawyers tell me, don't do this because he sounds like a lawyer. He'll make you look bad. He can spin his story as, as, as well as anybody. Anyway, it was a fascinating moment uh, among the many interviews that, uh, that happened live. So you're talking about, you mentioned preparation. Do you do different preparation if you're calling a game, an NFL game, or you're on the sidelines and from a sideline standpoint, you get five hits or half or whatever to try to get points in? Can you kind of walk us through the difference on that in terms of prep in a game day? Yeah, there's really, if you're doing an interview, a length, first of all, let's just say a lengthy interview, like a sit down half hour show, that, that's a different kind of preparation because you almost want to let the guests talk, but you want to make sure you, you have a direction. You want to talk about their history. Do you want them to be topical? That it's a lengthy conversation. When you're preparing for a game, there's a difference in calling a game uh, as opposed to the sideline reporting. Sideline reporting, you end up, there's probably, you know, 80% of the material you have, you're not going to end up using. The good sideline reporters, they stand out in, they studied, but in the flow of the game, that's where they shine. They tell you something that you didn't read during the week or you didn't see online before the game. They tell you an emotional reaction that has happened on the sideline or they'll, you can't quote exactly. The NFL doesn't want you quoting exact comments, but you can gather, hey, here's why this guy isn't in the game. Or you, they'll update, not just updating an injury, but having a little bit more information on, okay, that's the injury here. But last week in practice, this guy was injured. So that's where kind of the, the preparation comes in. If you're calling a game, it's a lot of numbers and stats that you have and you can put them on a board. And 
then you also, with our meetings, you play, I'll be working with Daryl Johnston this year for the NFL on Fox. And I've worked with him before. He's terrific. And, um, you know, he's an established uh, broadcaster as well as he was a player with the Super Bowl Cowboys. And, and so you make sure your analyst, you know where he wants to go or how to play off him so that you guys cover uh, what's going on through the course of the game. So for calling a game, my preparation starts as soon as we finish one week. I'm on the plane ride home looking at the, the, the roster of the next game that we're going to do because often we don't do the same team every week. But it, it keeps you interested in the game and the players in the league. It keeps you on top of things. You I appreciate you saying that because Mark and I are new at this. And, you know, I always tell Mark, hey, okay, what are we going to ask Mr. Myers? What are we going to ask Chris? What are we going to ask Jim yeah. Gary? And the question, you know, the interview doesn't always go the way you want it to. So I appreciate that because an answer could lead to another subject. So thank you. That, you no, know, that's the, be the, the best. I always learn that the best in doing interviews, the best answer you get is really the, 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 the follow-up question the initial question it may be okay but after somebody answers there's always a follow it, it could be as simple as tell me more or why did you feel that way or or how really how did that come about or you know why did you want to leave the team or why was the coach so upset Th those kinds of the, it's the follow-up and it really is listening to you know what the person has to say and, and sometimes they don't want to say a lot and you got to steer them in a different direction sometimes they want to tell stories and you let them go that's why we do the interviews now because our wives don't want to hear about hear about us anymore. <laughs> want to talk to us? So, um, yes, right. if you interview if you interview your wives, you better do your research. Well, I'll just That's tell for you sure. That. Hey, <laughs> we go we go from Sundays in September to Sundays in February. NASCAR on Sport on Fox. I see you sitting there with uh, Michael Waltrip or or DW or or those guys. Talk us a little bit about dealing with. NASCAR Nation versus, you know, the NFL and that product versus trying to bring NASCAR along into people who would be NFL fans. Yeah, it's an interesting transition because I'm now working with Jeff Gordon, who's I don't think he's going to be in the booth going forward, but he will be a part of uh, likely a still a part of the Clint Boyer. Uh, on the pre-race show. And that's my area, more the pre-race show, almost like the NFL pre-game show, uh, calling the races is a different group for Fox. But it's not as, as mainstream. It's become more mainstream. But obviously, football, baseball, basketball, these are things people grew up with. So NASCAR, I, I thought, and part of my job as the host was to make sure we keep the core audience and, and appreciate and know the sport of racing and the drivers, but make sure other people flipping channels, well, they don't have to be a gearhead. You don't, you don't have to know everything about how an engine works to still enjoy a NASCAR race. You could appreciate the personality of the driver. You could appreciate the skill set or the strategy of the pit crew, the timing of, you know, do you gamble on you know, the wear on tires? And if you have the lead and the gas fuel mileage, those kinds of things. So uh, the strategy, but also personality, I think are the things. And it was, you know, people told me when, when I first started doing that, when Fox put me in that role, they said, oh, you know, you're a football baseball guy, just like you talked about the open different sports. And I was like, well, you know, and they said, this is a tough audience. They know they're and they've accepted me they, you know, after a certain, and I, and I say that because there's that hardcore, you yes. know, NASCAR gearhead that, that they could, they could take their engine apart and put it back together and tell you why it works or why it doesn't. And that, that's not really my role. I have a former crew chief for that, or I have a former driver or somebody that, that's in that role. My role is to do the television part of it and do what you said to make sure people feel comfortable. You don't want to have people watching 
a broadcast, whether it's an interview or a sport, and, and have them feel like they're being left out, like we're, we're too special for them or we're too smart for them. Or, and you don't have to dummy everything down either. But I think that's even how we approach, at least my approach has been on even football or baseball broadcast. The hardcore people are going to know it, but there's a mainstream. Think of talking to a 10-year-old or your, an 80-year-old grandmother, whatever the difference, that's kind of you know your audience. So if you're going to say Tampa 2 defense, then make sure you explain it in a, in a simple way so you're not insulting the person who knows it. Uh, but you're making sure that somebody's not left out who thinks they know it, but they never really took the time to study it or have somebody who played or coached the, the defense to tell you about it. So it's the same thing uh, in terms of NASCAR. And I bring that up because that was part of the part of the, I think what Fox did so very well and has become now the number one other networks carry it, but they've become number one clearly on the coverage of, of NASCAR and the, and the ratings have proved that. And it was one of the most important moves to early sports to come back after the pandemic. Obviously, there were some factors there where you have a car and a driver going to be around people, but it was a very important thing for our, our country to get back to live sports, and they helped to, to do that. And it was nice that, that uh, Fox was a part of that. You Even after team. all these years with going from the NFL on Fox to NASCAR, the Super Bowl, the premier boxing, does the names ever get confused? Just a quick question because I want to bring it back. Yeah, to no, no, they do. And and you it's funny. I do still practice uh, when I'll go for a run or, or when I'm driving in the car. I'll go over names again. It's whether it's pronunciations or I'll just attach names. If it's a football game or I'll attach names and numbers so, so that I make sure. And I, and I try to compartmentalize a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah, right now, yeah, there's still some baseball and it's going to bleed over, but I, I'll be doing Buccaneers preseason football with Rondé Barber. So, I, you know, the Bucks, I know their main core, but there's going to be preseason. There's a number of players and, and that are new. So you, you, you do, I, I go over that. And if I do a new team in the NFL or a different NASCAR driver with a pit crew, um, you kind of have to program your mind. I mean, you can write things down, but I think you have to have familiarity to yourself. And sometimes I mean, my family gets tired of me. So I, I try not to do it. With them when I'm at dinner or hanging out, they're like, "Why are you spouting out these numbers of players?" Whatever. <laughs> Let us watch the game. You just go. So, uh, so it's just kind of a habit that I've been doing since I was a kid and a sports fan that I've continued through my radio days and then and then through television. But but yes, and sometimes you don't. This is the worst part when you say a name and you don't even realize you said the wrong name you know you want to say justin jefferson and you might say john jefferson you know because you're thinking yeah. of an old charger receiver or packer receiver versus the new viking uh receiver so you have to catch yourself and if not hopefully people are listening to say hey and you correct it doesn't mean you didn't know it but you got to make sure the audience gets it that hears you get it right all right i'm gonna i want to go back to nascar because to me it was great the way you were able to be the traffic cop on the hollywood hotel because initially even there for me on a Sunday, I'm like, well, that's Chris Myers. He's baseball, he's football. What's he doing with NASCAR, <laughs> with DW, and with Jeff Hammonds, and Larry right. Reynolds, right. and Akashians coming out, and all this stuff. I'm like, what's Chris? And to just as a, as a fan, I can watch now three, four years later and go, he's been there all along, and he belongs there. So uh, kudos so. to you for that. And give us a story when you got a rain delay. In the Hollywood Hotel, and, and you gotta fill time, and you don't know if if the dryers are going, and the drivers are drying by, and they're making all kinds of noise, and you're trying to tell a story. Give us one of those from uh, yeah, we, like oh my gosh, <clears throat> we've had yeah, we've had in, in 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 the Hollywood Hotel was just for those that did, you know it was a little studio that went it was on location. It wasn't like back in LA or New York. We were there at the track every week. So it was, it was an advantage. You could walk right outside and watch the race or go into the, the pits or talk to the pit crew in between. 
and so it was a mini a mini studio. And so when there were rain delays, and and you, you know we had programming, live programming, we would often have drivers come in and talk to us, or we would just rerun certain segments of the race and and talk about it. But there was one funny one, and I forget. I think it was in Virginia, rain delay. <clears throat> Jeff Hammond and I are in the little. Hollywood Hotel and it's pouring outside and this and the pit and the pit reporters going back the, back then there was the late Steve Burns great guy Dick Bergren who's the you know the knowledgeable I think genies I forget who the uh Matt Yoka was yeah and and so they're out hustling to try to stay dry and it's just pouring they're getting we're talking about you know oh the challenge of doing a show with in the rain and but we're sitting inside the suit so uh, and this is on live tv Somebody got them these these power super soakers for water guns, and and all of a sudden they come storming in while Ham and I are live on TV talking about, and they just start blasting away at us like we're in suits and ties and our TV, and uh, and so I yeah I just you know he rolls over in his chair like he but it was we were getting super soaked by them. It was just a moment that fans loved because it was so impromptu and out of character that stood out to me that kind of showed the great chemistry on on that crew. So that was one of the. That was one of the funny moments. We've had a few more where some drivers were a little bit angry. I remember Tony Stewart. I brought up something about him being booed, and I think his mother or family member had heard it, and they were <laughs> upset about it. So when he came in to, you know, he was like, he come, he didn't come in for an interview into the Hollywood Hotel. He came in to like straighten me out, as he as he put it, rather angrily. And we <clears throat> we did iron it out, and and it really wasn't a problem. But there were a lot of those uh, interesting moments. But you make a good point about I think we and we're all guilty of it. Uh, I think we label people how we saw them. Okay, you're you're a you're a football guy. Oh, what's he doing on on basketball? He's a basketball. Why is he doing golf? And really, I, I'm I'm glad that fans have been more accepting in the way the networks have allowed the transition to do a number of other sports. I mean, that's what makes Joe Buck and Jim Nance so successful. I mean, Joe can do World Series or he can do a Super Bowl. Nance can do the Final Four, the Masters. You know, and and then you 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 have your strength. You have your, obviously the sports that you're more passionate about or more comfortable in, uh, but but the audience knows you can do the job uh, if if you're committed at that particular time, which you have to be uh, to do the job right. I, I kind of, you kind of remind me of the actor Robert De Niro in the sense of this: you're not going to remember De Niro for any one film, and you can't remember Chris <clears throat> Myers for anything. Meaning you've done so much that it's just unbelievable, Chris. Wow, wow, compliment. I, I didn't know I had that kind of uh, cachet, but thank you for But But that's, I'm, I'm proud of that because it, I, I, I wouldn't ever want to put one sport above another or, or their fans. People go, oh, which sport do you like the most or which one do you, do you not like or which one you haven't done? I, you know, look, there, there, there's a reason the sports around and people are passionate about that. I have certain ones that I connect to, just like over the years, there were certain players or people that you interviewed, you know, I became good friends with people like Charles Barkley and, and, and Bill Murray and Troy Aikman, even before they were uh, broadcasting or beyond their stardom careers and that type of thing. And there's a lot of other guys along the way behind the scenes that aren't necessarily headline names that were really uh, great people to talk to. And we've, we've stayed in touch for various reasons. So um, I, I think that's a good, that, look, I, I also respect, you know, broadcasters who are, you know, they want to stay on that one thing. That's all they want to do baseball all the time, or they want to do football all the time or, or a soccer or whatever it is. That's okay too. I probably in the off season of that sport, like the, you know, let's take the NFL in the off season, I'd get bored. I mean, I, as a, as a fan, as a kid, as, well, I was like, all right, after football or whatever, I'm going to go enjoy baseball. I watch a little racing, the Daytona 500, come on after the Super Bowl. You know, those are things you just kind of grow up 
up and and uh, enjoy along the way. And the NBA takes you through the summer and the hockey playoffs and that type of thing. So um, it, it's it's good that we have now too so many ways you guys can do this podcast. We have regional sports. We have networks that are entirely devoted to one sport. I mean, that, I, I wouldn't take that for granted. I have to tell people that there was a time when that wasn't around. There wasn't an NFL channel and an MLB network that you know you could get or your own team on every, every night. Uh, if it was a, a baseball channel like Marquee Sports Network or something like that. So uh, we should enjoy this while we while we have it, when we have it. So one more from me on a wrap up because you've been great with your time. But um, for local people, that's, I think, where that comes from, because there's that bias, right? We only see our local guy does baseball and we only see him do baseball for us. And so like we could never think about when Eddie Olchek went from hockey and started doing horse racing for NBC. So that, you know, mm -hmm used to those types of things so but my last question you've interviewed a lot of people somebody out there right now that you haven't been able to interview in uh in celebrity quote-unquote status the entertainment politics or sports that should really like to grab the, the uh, bob barker microphone and and do a, a <laughs> Wow. Well, I always the, the one guy I met that I never I would have loved to have interviewed is Johnny Carson, but that 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 won't happen. I have met you know Leno and Letterman and, and I didn't Ballard know that. And so yes, there you go. I did not know that. That is some real <laughs> yeah, you know, Let me tell you that story real quick because you guys get a there's a generation out there that think when I say Carson they're thinking Carson Daly, but you yeah. guys get Johnny Carson who uh, was the king of late night and established. Real quick story. I I, I grew up watching him and I was a fan of his whole. I did not know that. So we're doing the late night Sports Center. This is in one of the ESPN books. Mike Tarico and I are filling the 2 a.m. segment. And at the end, we would have extra time and Mike would throw out some fact or nugget. And I would do a, you know, hey, I did not know that. So the producer said, why don't we just, you know, create a segment and call it that. And I said, OK, well, we can't we can't steal Carson's line. I did not know that. So we just we called it. Did you know? And for years, ESPN Sports that had did. Did you know? So I'm years later in uh, in L.A. At, at a tennis event. And Johnny Carson is over. He had retired from doing the show. He's over on the side by kind of in a private area and I had like a media pass and I'm like I boy that's my guy I want to enter to see uh, meet him some but I can't just so I got up enough nerve and I, I was still doing the sports center thing but it just came out to, uh, the west coast and I got through and I said you know excuse me for you know he was sitting there watching it was in between the match I said I'm sorry um Mr. Carson I my name is Chris Myers I'm with ESPN and he said I I know who you are and I, I said well I'm, and I'm sorry to bother you I said I just want you to know the did you know segment that we have on SportsCenter I said that came from from watching you and the way you react to people when you would say I I did not know that and I said you know there it's become a kind of a popular thing and I said I, I just think it's kind of cool and since I have the chance to tell you that you know, I was kind of nervous. I, I, you know, I interviewed everybody. I was never nervous before interviewing athletes, uh, even in Ali or whoever. But this, I was nervous because this guy's one of my. And I, so I said, I just, I thought it was important to tell you that that story. And this true story, you get. He just looked at me and he went, uh, "I, I did not know that." And he walked away. And that was <laughs> a true story. So, Chris, anyway, I, funny. Chris didn't, Mark, didn't need to ramble on that. Chris, uh, I want to yeah. just say, um, and if I, on behalf of Mark and myself, uh, you know, I, I of course. Uh, I got a hold of you in a, in a sense through Boom Boom Mancini through Ray. And yes. of course, Ray speaks about you so highly. And I have to tell you, when you called me to come on Angles and Attitude after I had emailed you, I, in this 25-minute segment, 
I've learned a lot. I know Mark is just, we're crazy about you to, for coming on. You've been so gracious. You are somebody that really speaks from the heart. And um, this is something that I'm never going to forget. And I hope we have another chance with you. Mark gets to see on the Marquee Network because he's Cubs, I'm Sox. And we love it. You're Christian. <laughs> we love your Christian That's okay. Tell thing. I would, we would uh, love to be on there one time. That is unbelievable. All right. I'll get you on. We'll make, we'll make Frank Thomas and hang in with Hurt. We'll make them jealous if I get yeah, you guys Yeah, we got to make him jealous <laughs> for sure. I'm but I appreciated, uh, I appreciated your note, your letter about, you know, I, I get a lot of, you know, requests for interviews and, and, and uh, for doing podcasts. And really, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be rude to anybody. There's just so many, but uh, your your letter was sincere, and I can I can tell you it was a genuine. Uh, we would have fun talking, and, and we did. So well, I'm glad to so do much. it. I'll I'll do it. I'll do it again. I do want to mention it. I think it was uh, might have been Mark who made the uh, comment about it. it's a really good point too. That I think, and I hope fans understand that you know when somebody's doing a national broadcast versus a local broadcast, there's a big difference, right? When you're the local guy, you're you should be kind of rooting for that home team, you know, right? Whether it's Cubs, right. White Sox, that's got to be clear. On a national scale, we really, even though we get a lot of people upset thinking we're rooting for one team or another, when we're doing that, you really don't when you're doing a national game. You're really just rooting for a good game. You know, you, you want a close game, a competitive game, a good game. And so but there, there's a difference in there. So some people can transition easy out of that. As broadcasters, sometimes the audience isn't as forgiving, but hopefully they're more aware because you guys brought it up. I thought it was a very good point. But uh, my, my, my pleasure talking to you. This was a lot of fun. We appreciate your time. Take care, Chris. All right, you guys take care. Bye. See you soon, Chris. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.